Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Recorded Friday, September the 8th, 2017, this is the Western Devs Podcast. In today's episode, we discuss, is there still a need for server-side web? Boy, look here, we get something for you. Yeah! Hey everybody, welcome to what is increasingly looking like our annual podcast. We have with us today Simon, Dave, Paquette, Dylan, and our brand new uh, Western dev, Damien, whose name I will uh, forever associate with the Omen, um, but I'm sure that won't reflect at all on you, Damien. Welcome. Thank you. And it's spelled differently. I'm spelled like the saint, not the Omen person. Yeah, so uh, I think that's what you want people to think. (laughs) That's right. Oh, Omen. I thought you said Yeoman. I was thinking, like, did he write the Yeoman Generator? Could I be more (laughs) impressed? What I will forever associate him with. Uh, Today we're talking uh, server-side processing. Is there still a need for it? This came out of a conversation that was pretty good, and I hope we can capture that here. Uh, we, we kind of hit and miss in that regard. Somebody had suggested, I think on Twitter, that new ASP.NET development should use Razor. Do I have that right? Not ASP MVC. Close. So I, this kind of started when I, I was reading through some of the new ASP.NET Core docs related to the version 2 release, where it, it mentioned that the... If you're doing server-side rendering, your default choice should be to use Razor Pages, which is a new feature in uh, in ASP.NET Core 2. And that that kind of surprised me a little because we've been the default has been the recommendation has been to use MVC, so where you have a Razor for your views, you have a model that represents your data and a controller that kind of handles your requests, uh, the the gets and posts. And just to be clear, Dave, ra- Razor Pages, like you just said, is is not the same as just using Razor Views in MVC. It's a whole different thing, right? It's not as different as it seems initially. Uh, it's still Razor. Uh, it's just kind of a different model for how you how you have this how you structure the server side code, I guess. Uh, instead so of how is it things... different? How is it different than MVC? I, I haven't really had a chance to play around with this too much, but I'll try to explain it based on my a bunch of assumptions that I'm making about it without having tried it. Uh, but the idea is that you have, it, it's kind of a simplification in some ways of, of MVC, the framework that we, we know and have been using for a long time now, in that uh, it, if you have a page request that comes in, it that essentially gets mapped to a Razor page, which is just a, a CSHTML file on the server and that page has so that razor page has a page model class that's associated with it so you can kind of think of it as like a code behind class uh, that represents any any logic that you want to implement for that page so it, it kind of simplifies things in that you don't have this controller that's really s- distantly separated from the view kind of brings them a little bit closer together but still gives you the separation that you can you can have the the code portion of your 
your view implemented in a, a different place. This sounds like plastic, it has to be done that, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit more like it, but it's still not like the the whole page lifecycle thing that we had with uh, with classic ASP.NET and web forms, where we had controls that would try to render their view state into, or store their view state into something that got passed to the view. It's a, it's right. a little simpler than that still. So it's, it's still a lot like Razor and MVC in how it gets rendered and, and how data is passed between with model binding. Um, you basically just have a, a page class that can take part in uh, instill the your dependency injection, and then you might have something like an on get method that that gets called uh, when that handles the get portion of the request, and then an on post method that handles the post back. And is there still things like routing and verbs and whatnot? Yeah, so you can have. A method that handles any of the different verbs. So you can have an on get and an on post and an on delete method in your class. In my mind, I kind of think of it like, uh, and I know even less than you about it. Um, it's kind of like a lightweight, a lightweight alternative to MVC, perhaps. It sounds more like a lightweight alternative to web forms to me. Well, there's no controls though, so it's not web forms. Web forms is really based okay. on the the controls concept. And we don't have that here. So it's MVC without the actual controller, or, or I guess that the code behind is, is acting as the controller. Basically, yeah. Basically, I see. Yeah. The, the question is, why would they recommend that over MVC? Just for, because for the simplicity of it? Yeah, I think it's the simplicity and that it's probably a lot easier for people to learn. I, I get the impression that's the, the biggest reason. So MVC, the framework as we know it, is maybe conceptually a little difficult for somebody who's new to, you know, building web applications using .NET. There's a lot to learn there, and I think they're seeing Razor Pages as a, a simplification of that model that makes it easier to onboard new developers. Can you unit test these pages yep. easily? Yeah, that was always a problem with. Uh, the world before MVC. Well, and and then where the our Slack discussion went, I think I made the comment that uh, whether it's MVC or the new Razor pages, uh, my feeling is that server side rendering just in general doesn't seem like it's really necessary anymore. All the web stuff I've done or been involved in the last couple of years is using one of these single page app frameworks like Angular, or React, or Vue.js. Or, or static site generators like Jekyll or Hexo or all those trendy ones. And, and none of those applications really even need server-side rendering. So I don't, I, I mean, the future that I Now, what kind of applications are these? These are public-facing, they're internal enterprise applications, or kind of all over the place? All, all of the above. Right, a lot of these people making Angular apps or React apps, uh, you need a web server, but it's it's just hosting static files, just hosting your HTML and, and JS and CSS files. And I'm not I'm not sure I even see the need that with these great frameworks that we have that we even need ASP.NET anything. We just need to serve static files. Well, if we're talking about simplifying MVC, I mean, client side processing single page applications in general are quite a bit different. Especially for if you want to do like a public-facing application, you got to think about browser history and and 
and um, what are they called? Bookmarks. Sure, and people do that with with Angular is where my experience is. Uh, people people do that with Angular all yeah, the time. Not, yeah, I think a lot of that's kind of been solved now on the client side. Yeah, I, I'm probably showing my age because it did suck way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, it used to suck because you used to have to put like hashtags in the URLs and things like that, right. and that's kind of gone away now on the client it's side. It's gone away because of browsers or because... Yeah, because of browsers. So HTML5 right. can take the specification for doing um, okay. like full URLs that were client-side routed. Okay. What I was going to say, one of the things that really annoys me about the client-side stuff is when there's a ton of data on the page and it doesn't get pre-rendered for you. That's server-side rendering, right? It's just combined with client-side rendering, pulling back data and rendering it that way. Yeah, so you might that might be like two things that you're talking about there. One is, say you navigate to a page that has a lot of data on it and has to render a lot of elements. So that yep. can potentially be slow. Uh, but the other one is if like you cold start a site and you go to a, a page that has a lot of data on it, you have to wait for like, the entire client-side framework to download and boot up uh, and then do its API call to get the data and show all of that. So that yeah. that can be avoided with... I mean, I was mainly talking about the former case, but yeah, that, that the yeah, latter so case the, is definitely... The latter case, um, that, that can be addressed with this, these what were called isomorphic applications and then because the term wasn't overloaded enough already, I think they're now calling them universal applications. Uh, so I, I don't know if I like either word very much, but the idea is that you basically run the client-side code on the server, build up an HTML model, send that down to the client so that people can see the page right away. And then in the background, you kind of download the entire application and spin up the, the JavaScript and that will attach to an existing DOM and it will do diffs against the DOM uh, in order to bring it up to date with whatever it feels the model is. That's a lot of complexity under the covers of what's happening there, right? Like we can do it fairly yeah. easily because we have frameworks that can do it, but in terms of actually understanding what's happening there, I, I don't know that that's really something most people understand what's happening, most developers. I agree. And I, I don't know if it is that easy with like even without frameworks now i couldn't right off the bat tell you how to do that easily right and i, I think that's where there it's not something you're going to want to do for every simple little app that you want to web app that you want to throw up there there's that that's i think where the case comes in for still doing just a a classic server-side rendered application where all you're sending is html down to the client maybe a little bit of javascript uh, but you're not you're not relying on a client side framework to render the pages for you. And I think that's the the key argument here is that there is a whole spectrum of different sizes and different levels of interactivity that you want to have on your site. And there's space enough on that spectrum for everything from static file generators all the way up to MVC through Angular apps and all of that on the way. I don't know. I just I just see that all the all the applications that my my customers are working on. At least all the new ones that they're starting, pretty pretty much everybody is using a client side framework nowadays. But what's the business case for that? It just it like just it's, seems... it's still more complicated to build a client side application and an API than it is to build just a server side application. Well, you're still going to want an API usually, don't you think? Are you? If I just have a a really 
basic kind of marketing app with some contact forms and and a few different things. Why do I need an API? Uh, I guess I'm thinking more business apps, right? Like the one I'm thinking of is I, a customer I was working with is building, you know, an insurance app and their customers can go and sign up for insurance and make claims and administrators can administer those claims, right? Businessy web application. I was going to say in those, in those cases, kind of like my de facto kind of high level architecture is, all right, we got a database somewhere. We got an API that sits in front of that database. These are using ASP.NET Web API. Um, and then we got some UI, which nowadays, like you know, my de facto choice is let's, let's pick one of the the web client frameworks, whether that be Angular, React, or Vue.js, right? Because when we do kind of rich, responsive UIs, you don't want to be doing you know postbacks all the time, obviously, right? I just, I just seems to be the way that the web development community is is moving. When we're looking at this stuff, because we're doing an exercise right now at work. Um, with with respect to picking out server side uh, framework versus using going client side or doing microservices and then consuming it through client side API or with a client side app, and the, the the challenge that we keep on coming across is we're trying to find the value that the server side app provides, the server side rendering specifically provides. Um, we're not when we're building an, an app if it's really simple. Generally, there's a like some sort of software as a service that we can leverage that will do this, like something Office 365 or some cloud-based provider, if it's that simple. For like you said, uh, the example you had earlier was forms. So if I just have a little, I want to do data entry forms so people can submit a bunch of, let's say, quiz results or something, um, then yeah, you want something simple. On the flip side of that, if we're building an actual application, we're always talking about how we can extend this further. And with that, that's where this the, the API or the web API becomes that extension point because you can build it for whatever number of clients, number of integration points, and the uh, the JavaScript-based API or the HTML app, like the React or Angular or whatever, ends up being just one of the many clients we end up writing that consumes that API. So it's given us a lot more flexibility in our architecture. It's a pattern we've started to use moving forward, and we're moving further and further away from server-side frameworks because there's just there's just no, we don't see the value in them as much as we once did. Well, Dave, let me ask you a question. So you're building an application. You've got a server-side API, you know, maybe using ASP.NET Web API. And now you need to build a UI. So, so you can do a server-side rendered UI and still use your API, right? I've got this REST API out there. I can build an Angular app that consumes it, or I can build an ASP.NET MVC app that consumes it. How do you decide between those two? In our case, we actually did it the first way once um, because it was what we knew. Um, we didn't spit, so our, in our case, it wasn't actually uh, ASP.NET MVC, it was Grails, or more of a Java shop, right? So we used Grails because we had the experience in it. And we the next time we did the exact same sort of pattern, we got rid of Grails. We just, we went and made the Angular app uh, because we want our JavaScript people focused on the JavaScript and the client side of that experience, and we want the server side people to be focused on making sure the data is clean, making sure that the service is working great. Um, so it's two different problems, and we can specialize our team, our people, on those specific areas. At least that's how we looked at it. Is Grails the Java equivalent of MVC? It is a Java equivalent, in, in a way. It, it's one of the many varieties that's out there for it. Uh, so you guys are talking about full web apps, right? And then on the flip side, which is what we were also talking about, was static 
uh, websites like a blog or something like that where you can pre-render everything you know when you post a new um, new blog post for example and then just generate HTML and then it becomes a static site and and use um, client-side processing for stuff that has to be sort of pseudo dynamic like um, in our case uh, for the Western devs we do have some client-side processing for example to bring up a, a random person on the home page but we do have uh, an issue that we want to show for example um, only upcoming events where we're speaking right so when we render it set mm -hmm. checks to see which events are upcoming and there's something tomorrow then it'll show up in the events but if nobody recompiles that sucker and, and deploys it in two days then it's still showing up in the upcoming events but that's something that it's and i think that's be the case for for a lot of static sites is that it's basically 90 95 percent static and the rest of it still can be handled with client side and in that case i still think it, it, it still makes sense to do that client side for the reasons I mean, even if done. that's client side hitting an api which is on yeah. the server side yeah it's not pulling ui down from the server no. i think no. as long as the, the data underlying your site changes infrequently such that you can rebuild your site every time the data changes right like our blog site right yeah checking a new blog post once a day which rebuild the site if you can do that, I don't see any need for server-side processing. Like Kyle said, you still might have some client-side dynamic stuff that's just serving up static JavaScript files. Right. The, another um, case for uh, against server-side processing is that a lot of times the web API is used for both a, um, a web front-end and a mobile app, right? It's uh, quite a bit... I don't want to pretend that I'm a mobile expert. I haven't installed Xamarin, so I can't claim to be an expert. But uh, that way, it at least gives you the opportunity to um, build different clients for for the API, for the API, whether or not it's mobile or just like a different version of the website or something like that. I still don't think that impacts the question of server-side processing or not, right? Because if I have an API, like I said, I can do whatever I want to do on mobile and consume that API. But if I also want to build a web client, I still have the choice between client side you know angular web client or server side mvc web client that consumes the same api that my mobile app does right so i think that the server side versus client side for the web application is independent about whether i have multiple clients and need to consume the same api or not so your question is why would anybody use mvc yeah i just think it's it's becoming more and more obsolete uh not just mvc but also razor web pages or any server side uh, processing you know, as these client-side frameworks get more and more mature and more and more popular. I mean, you still need to have something to to generate this API. I guess it's not MVC. Well, hold, well, or, well, or hold on. So, yeah. so I still ASP.NET Web API. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm, you know, ab, you know that that is still the choice for the API, yeah. the backend API. I'm talking about the UI piece. That's your choice for the backend. I mean, could you do all of this stuff with just serverless? If that's something that doing full client-side sort of unlocks, you can put your client-side JavaScript on a CDN, and you can do your back-end serverless, and now all of a sudden, everything's magical. Hey, hallelujah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we solved that then? Well, I want to I throw a spanner, because at the moment, it seems like everybody's saying exactly the same thing. So there's got to be somebody disagreeing, right? 
I'm about to. <laughs> well, the, so our um, the website, the the Western Devs website, is your blog posts that are put on there. For example, are written by devs who are creating PRs and submitting them, and you know we're doing all of that dev stuff to write these blog posts. But the site itself is relatively static, so a static generator makes sense. But there's plenty of other sites or scenarios that are similar to that, but the people contributing content to it aren't going to submit a pull request. They're going to fill out a form. Um, it's going to be thrown in a database somewhere, and then those pages are going to be, be uh, served. They're relatively static, but does it make sense to spit out some lightweight HTML, 3,000 you know lines of JavaScript, so it can hit an API pullback content that doesn't change very often. Or why not just hit the database, generate HTML, spit that out, and then have a have a cache in front of that. Is that how WordPress works? So Word, WordPress. Well, exactly, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's pretty. It's how a lot of those would work, I imagine. And when you look at that, that's something I was going to bring up while Dylan was talking is that like, when you think about our group, the Western devs in general, the, the work we're generally doing is like line of business applications or in enterprises building those types of applications. But when you look at the web as a whole, still the vast majority of what's out there, it would be WordPress sites that work in exactly the way that Damien just described. Yeah, but I that might that still make sense. Like entropy, you got people. You know, there's a huge web out there. It's just a matter of whether uh, what what the new stuff is working on to to determine. You know, even in even in that case, I, does it make sense to like like Damien was saying, have a client side rendering framework where we're Probably we're pushing not. this data out to millions of clients that might be viewing our website when we could just generate the HTML and put it in a cache and serve it out quickly from the server side so that we aren't doing the same work millions uh, of times across all the clients. Uh, so, so I'd agree that the, you know, the vast majority of the web is basically WordPress sites or something similar. But if I'm somebody creating, you know, my company about us page or whatever, and I'm, and I'm, you know, mostly static, I'm going to use some content management system like WordPress. I don't have to make the decision server side or client side because I'm not developing a web application. I'm using a content management system like WordPress. So that decision doesn't even really come into play. Now, if you're de the developer that creates the WordPress application, uh, you know that that would be an interesting question. But you know, when you say a huge portion of the web is these relatively static sites in WordPress, the people creating those sites, they, I mean, this is a moot point. They're not making a decision client side, server side, whatever. They're just adopting WordPress. Yeah, I, I guess that was my argument that applications like WordPress. So my blog is hosted, my personal blog is hosted on Ghost. And that's ultimately ghost.io or subdomain.ghost.io. And they'd have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of sites running off that. They're all going to pull their data from a database. But when you hit that page, it's going to be the same content every single time. It really doesn't make sense for the developers of Ghost to set that up with a purely client-side framework that pulls hypothetically markdown down from the server and renders it in a nice way in the client. Those developers who are writing that kind of scenario, it makes sense to have a server-side rendering engine to do that stuff. And you're, and if I understand it right, it's, it's mainly because you can do more interesting stuff with caching because it's mostly static content. 
rather than pulling down the markdown and dynamically rendering it every time? Is that the gist of the well, that's, argument? Yeah, that's certainly one one scenario. Yeah, absolutely. That's a part of it for sure. And I, Kyle, I think you were evaluating something recently where you were looking to do static generation, uh, and then you kind of ran into some hiccups where it wasn't going to be. Yeah, well, that's where I was going to uh, make a case for server-side rendering is uh, a website that needs to support uh, it's dynamic content on it, but it needs to support multiple languages. Um, it's mostly static, but uh, we want to detect what language the user has and default to that one, French, Spanish, Russian, and English. Use that one by default, but also give them the option to uh, switch it at the top. Um, and during that discussion, it just, it seemed to me that it felt better to do that on the server side, determine which page to serve up on the server and potentially have, well, I still haven't figured that out. So determine which full page to serve up or determine which page to serve up and then determine which content to display in that page, like basically use a template and then have, you know, different content, uh, different content rendered within that page that changes with the, the user's language. I think you could easily do that with a client-side framework like Angular, though. It just, it's challenging to do it in statically generated sites. Because I think the challenge you You can do it with Angular, but it's still going to be a little bit clumsier than, than doing it on the server side. Especially if you want to give them, if you want to have like the browser detect detection first and then give them the option of um, changing it afterwards. Because if, if I go in there and I say it gives me Spanish first because I'm, I'm in Central America and I change that to English, um, where do all the, the links take me to? Like if I have a link to another page on the site, that should go to the English version of the page. Am I making sense? Yeah, and Angular does have uh, ways of doing that. It's just, as I said, it, it ends up being a little bit, or most client-side frameworks have some way of handling localization it's just yeah but the client side is straightforward the client side frameworks have a way of dealing with it whereas the server side frameworks are built to handle that specific scenario well i mean in my in my limited experience with multi-language stuff is it's it's a pain in the ass no matter which technology choice you, you choose yeah well until everybody settles on esperanto it's a problem that we still have to deal with yeah, the, uh, the the internationalization libraries, like all of the major frameworks have something. Um, and it's like that I18N, you can look that up uh, for pretty much anything you want. Um, but again, it's, it's just that, that, that the, the, it's the problems are the same on both sides of the fence, though. Um, like, you know, how many characters you're going to use in Spanish or in Mandarin versus English, and how much space you allocate onto the screen. With a client-side framework, I would say that there's a lot more... Uh, using things like CSS and uh, some of the web standards that are out there in HTML gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of how you want to display it if you're a client-side expert on layout and stuff like that. I'm not sure how well that plays out on the server side if you're just constantly re-rendering a page. You could still leverage the exact same tool set because it is returning HTML and CSS anyway. Um, it's just it's a thing that I see a little bit more on the HTML side given that's kind of where I live. A lot of the time, not so much in JavaScript, but more so across multiple HTML pieces, because internationalization is a common thing. 
Um, and it's, everyone's to support it. The browsers are all supporting it. It's just it's uh, more of a layout issue than anything else for the client side. And that's the focus of that, which is less server-side rendering, as far as I can see. I, I will say that, that in my little hobby app that uses Angular, I thought I could avoid uh, server-side processing entirely. But I, I did actually end up using it for one small thing that I, I couldn't figure out a good way to do client-side, uh, which is there's... There's certain, usually environment-specific configuration values that my client-side app needs, like that are going to be different between dev and test and prod. Right? Things like the URL of, of the API that it needs to talk to. Uh, more interestingly is the ID that it needs for, for App Insights or Google Analytics. I have different ones for different environments. And now I, I could have done that where I maybe I just call some service uh, uh, the same URL as the web page and say, hey, give me the config values. But for the app insights and Google Analytics ones in particular, I didn't. I needed. I needed those to be loaded up in the client side page before it ever called any APIs because the app insights one times how long it takes for page load and stuff. So I need that app insights uh, key immediately. I can't load the page, call the config service, get the key, and then start using app insights because I'm going to lose a lot of the data I want. So I had to figure out a way to dynamically inject that into my page uh, that's going to be different for every environment. So I did do a little server-side processing to dynamically inject some config values. Couldn't figure out a nice way to do that client-side. So what you're saying, Dylan, is that sometimes it's easier to do things server-side? <laughs> you don't twist my words. <laughs> no, but you, that is a good point. And I, I've had similar experiences with when I am doing client-side, uh, using a client-side framework, is that that bootstrapping process for... Uh, for just initializing that application sometimes can really benefit from server-side rendering too, just to simplify it. Yeah, I, I wanted to point out as well, so I, I didn't know anything about um, the Razor pages. So I did a quick search and ended up on docs.microsoft, which this is kind of a quick plug, but I know they've put a lot of effort into that, um, the docs Microsoft site. So it does give a really long run through of exactly how it works and how to put it together. And so customized routing and all, all that kind of stuff as well. Um, worth having a look at if you're interested in what in what um, Razor pages actually are and how they differ from MVC. Interestingly, interestingly, it looks like to add it, you actually use uh, services.addmvc in your startup.cs, yeah. which is interesting. That's where it gets a little bit confusing because the Razor pages is built on top of MVC, but we're talking about MVC, the framework bits, not MVC, the design pattern. So it's it gets a little confusing with the terminology it's there. Confusing, yeah. Uh, after like line twenty, it gets very clear though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we we've solved everything. Now we can send this podcast out into the world, where it will be blessed by all who listen to it, and everyone will know that we were the source of all solutions for client and server side rendering. Yay, microservices. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And we'll catch you in uh, 2018 if we use straight line interpolation. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. 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 Thanks.